Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I like what I feel in this house. Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the lovely name of Jesus. I am just so impressed by just what I feel, how I was greeted. I, I, I mentioned to your pastor coming in that you just, when you walk in, it just, it feels like it's your church. It's not a school. You've just decorated it so well, made it so welcoming. It's just absolutely fabulous, and it's fabulous to be here. Certainly want to give honor to Pastor and First Lady Windsor. Thank you for allowing us to be here, and your leadership team, thank you. It's good to see brother and sister Bucky Bailey. They preached for us at Crossroads last April, and they truly blessed us. We were blessed by their ministry. It's also good to see my childhood friend, Lonnie Christian, uh, we, we uh, back a long time ago, uh, but it's good to see him, and also quite a surprise today, uh, the White family here with us, they, uh, both of them were assistant chiefs in the Prince George's County Fire Department, and uh, they attended Crossroads, and it's nice to see them, it was a pleasant surprise, they have now moved to Hagerstown and came down and to be with us today. And so just good to see everybody, good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, for those hometown heroes in attendance today, uh, please receive our heartfelt gratitude for your sacrifice, your bravery, as well as your courage. I also want to acknowledge the families of our heroes while they may not respond to calls, their sacrifice is also great. On 9-11, I had scheduled leave that day. It was my day to work, but I, I had the day off. And so on that morning, if you remember, it was a beautiful morning, I dropped my daughter off at elementary school. It's hard to believe. And um, dropped her off, kissed her goodbye, told her I'd see her after school. I, I would stand in a certain spot. She, we walked to school, and so I, I would be at that certain spot when she got out that day. But it uh, wasn't long after I dropped her off that the firehouse called, and I was talking to one of the firefighters that morning when the first plane hit the tower. And before we finished talking on the phone, the second plane hit the second tower, and I hurried home and grabbed my uniform and my gear, and, and uh, I, within a few minutes, was heading to work. I remember calling my wife. It's great to have you with me this morning, baby. I appreciate you being here. And I remember telling her, um, Cheryl, I'm heading to work. And there was a pause she seemed a bit stunned, and she said, but you're, you're on leave today. Uh, I could hear the fear in her voice as our country was under attack. And within minutes of the plane hitting the Pentagon, I was already contacted by the chief's office and was dispatched to the Pentagon. I didn't get to see my family until the next day. Wasn't able to even call them. The phones didn't work. Cell phones didn't work that day, if you remember. But my little girl knew something was wrong. When her daddy didn't pick her up from school that day, she inquired about my whereabouts and was told that I had to go to work. As fear gripped our nation, my wife and daughter wondered if I would come home. It wasn't until years later, sitting with my daughter Rachel, we were talking, that she began to tell me that she remembered that day. And for the first time in her life, she felt a true sense of insecurity. And every day from that day forward, when I went to work, the only thing that she looked forward to is the door opening the next morning to make sure that I came home. So while we honor our heroes today, I would also like to thank their families for their sacrifice, for they are also true heroes. And so thank you, the original Pentecostals, for your thoughtfulness in honoring your hometown heroes. Trust me, it means a lot to them. 
21 years on the fire department, I can count on one hand how many times someone said thank you. And so it does mean a great deal to them for you to remember them and even more importantly that you have chosen to pray for them because it is a, a, a dangerous profession that our public safety members engage in. When I was asked to speak today, one of the things that I knew immediately what the Lord would have me to speak, and so I'm going to talk to you this morning for just a little bit about heroes. Exactly what is a hero? Scott Labarge, a Santa Clara University professor, informs us the term hero comes from, an, from the ancient Greek. For them, a hero was a, was a mortal who had done something so far beyond the normal scope of human experience that he left an immortal memory behind him when he died. And thus, he received worship like that due to or due the gods of their time. Originally, heroes were not necessarily good, but they, they were extraordinary. To be a hero was to expand persons, uh, people's sense of what was possible for a human being. Throughout history, societies have created myths and legends depicting larger-than-life heroes and heroines. As a society, we need larger-than-life heroes to lead, to inspire and yes, even entertain. This hero stereotype has caused many to believe that they are not or will never be hero material. And so this morning, I want to speak to you for just a bit on the topic, there's a hero in all of us. There's a hero in all of us. Now, I do not want to take away from anything that our public servants do. But I believe if you will talk to them, they will tell you that they are just ordinary people facing extraordinary situations, and they simply act upon as they knew to do with their training. In my book, a hero is not found in ancient writings or even graphic novels, but as I said, they are ordinary people doing extraordinary things when placed in difficult situations. Society and cultures need heroes. We as Christians have our heroes. We have people that we aspire to. In fact, we even have a chapter in the Word of God that we call a chapter, the heroes of faith. We have our Davids. We have others and the disciples, the apostles. We have ministers and pastors and evangelists. And yes, we have Jesus who is the true hero. Can I get an amen? I don't know about you, but Jesus is still my hero. I don't know about you, but Jesus is still worthy of my worship. But the problem with this is that people that we aspire to, that, that let me go back and say this, Labarge states our heroes are symbols for us of all the qualities that we would like to possess and all the ambitions we would like to satisfy. Notice his choice of words. He says words like would like to possess and would like to satisfy. That word hero has become a stumbling block that causes many never to attempt to engage in a situation where they can make a difference because they don't see themselves as different makers. Ask anybody that you call or deem a hero and the first thing that they will tell you is that they are not heroes. I have come this morning to convince the members of the original Pentecostals that Leesburg needs heroes and that hero is you. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to convince you that Leesburg needs heroes and that hero is you. You are the anointed voice 
to proclaim the gospel to a society cloaked in darkness. Let me say it again. You are the anointed. You are the appointed. You are the commissioned voice to proclaim the gospel to the Leesburg area. And they make no mistake, my friend. They are cloaked in darkness. And we are the voice of light. We are the voice of hope. I believe Arthur Ashe, famous tennis player, provides a great definition for a hero. He said true heroism is remarkably sober and very undramatic. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. Let me say it again. It is not the urge to surpass all others at whatever cost, but the urge to serve others at whatever cost. I wonder if there's anybody in the congregation that is willing to serve no matter the cost. I wonder if there's anybody, any heroes in the congregation that recognizes that your city is in need of a Savior, and no matter the cost, you will make yourself available to them. You, this is my first time here, but if you were to get to know me, you would quickly realize that I am not one for the pomp and circumstance. I guess they call me an introvert. I'm very reserved, not very talkative, uh, unless I'm preaching and then I can be a bit long-winded, but I will try not to be that way this morning. Perhaps this is why I was so uncomfortable on that particular day. The stage was full of dignitaries, the news cameras all around the auditorium. As the program began, I tried to find a table that was out of the way and inconspicuous. As the master of ceremonies moved through the program, he began to tell the following story. For extreme personal risk and courage, judgment, and zeal, and the highest degree of professionalism displayed on January 7th, 1998. It was on a cold morning in January that there was a house fire in Clinton, Maryland. While in the basement, several firefighters were burned and they were attempting to exit the house. They started up the steps trying to find the exit just as I was descending the steps. There was zero visibility and overwhelming heat. The officer of the crew in the basement advised that his crew was exiting and that they were all accounted for. For those that are in the fire department, you will understand my next statement. I had the entire house to myself on a hose line to put this fire out. That's a good thing for a firefighter. That's a good thing. And so as I continued to, to, to go down the basement steps, it was so warm that I can remember scooting down on my backside because I, that, I had to stay that low. As I got to the bottom of the steps, uh, I, I remember thinking to myself, if this is what hell feels like, I don't want any parts of it. And as I started to go, I had the hose line, I was trying to get to the nozzle where, where you, I could open the nozzle and begin to put out the fire. And, and I had my hand on the hose line and suddenly I, I, I began to hear uh, somebody hollering in the basement. I, I then recognized that one of the folks uh, that was on the original engine company had not made it out. Uh, a firefighter had become disoriented and was now trapped in the basement. Uh, 
And so as I looked, I, I knew that the conditions were t- deteriorating. I knew that we just had a few minutes to get out. But I left the safety of a hose line. That hose line was my ticket to get out. As long as I had my hand on that hose line, I would, would have been able to turn around and follow it back up the steps. But on that day, I was going to have to leave the safety of a hose line and I was going to have to travel in places that I did not know and places that I was unfamiliar with because there was a voice that was crying out for help and somebody needed to help him. And so I remember kind of trying to find uh, that where that sound was coming from. Now you must understand, there's several pounds of gear on me. I am breathing in, a, in, a, in an air mask and so I can hear myself breathing. There is noise from the outside, from all the rigs on the outside. There are people crashing windows and I am trying to find this voice in the darkness. And finally I was able to track it down, track this person down and as I came up to this person I recognized him. I recognized his voice and I remember what he was doing. He was standing in a corner and he was walking back and forth into the corner. And he just kept doing that. Now you know that every child is taught to get low in a fire. Every child is taught to get low. And here we have a firefighter that should know better. But I want you to understand that when we are when we have great pain in our life and when we are experiencing great trauma in our life, we don't always think with the clearest mind in case you haven't recognized that I'm going somewhere with this this isn't really about me but it is about the world that we are called to to proclaim the gospel to they are lost they are hurting and they do not they do not know what they are doing but I'll get back to my story and so I remember pulling him down and pulling him to the ground I remember I remember thinking to myself, as I looked back to try to find the steps, I have no idea where I'm at in this house. I don't know if I'm in the front of the house or the back of the house, but I, and I don't know where the steps are. He grabbed a hold of me and he understood my voice. I will never forget it. He said, Curtis, you got to get me out of here. I'm dying. And so I, I thought, I, I looked back and I was struggling to figure out what am I going to do? And then I remembered I carried a tool in my hand. And so I, I got, we stayed low, and I grabbed a hold of him, and I started pulling him and dragging him along the outside wall. And I had a, a tool in my hand, and I had it up above my head. And suddenly I heard something. It was a change in the sound. It was walls, and then it just the, the walls changed just a little bit. And I heard a tink, and I realized what I'd found. I found a window, and I quickly said, stay right here, Ski. And, and, and I busted the window out. I picked him up. Up, and I pushed him out the window and onto the ground and made sure that he was safe. I share this story not to brag because honestly that day I can tell you from talking to the incident commander that they did not think that Ski and I were alive. They were getting ready at that moment to uh, to what we call surround and drown. And they, the incident commander himself told me, I do not, I did not think that you, that the t- the conditions were survivable. I share this story not to brag because it it is what comes next that helps with the points of my message this morning. When the master of ceremonies finished telling the story, he announced my name. I had been awarded a gold medal of valor and firefighter of the year. Additionally, I I would receive local and national recognition. Thank you. I walked on the stage. They placed a medal around my neck. Uh, And uh, quite honestly, I had to go to my garage yesterday and find a container and dig all that stuff out so I could remember to tell the story correctly. 
And uh, within seconds after that, I walked off the stage, and, and within seconds, there were news cameras and reporters, and everybody was in, in right in, in my personal space. And they, the first thing I can remember, the first thing they asked me, Captain Eby, what does it feel like to be a hero? Um, I guess they were looking for some kind of philosophical soundbite, uh, but I simply looked at them and said, I'm not a hero. I was just doing my job. They didn't know what else to say. The conversation, they kind of ended right there. Um, I wasn't being humble. I was being truthful. I was just an ordinary guy that recognized a need and responded to the need. There were many firefighters on that fire ground that day, and every one of them would have done the same thing that I did. But there was an opportunity that presented itself. I want you to know that there is an opportunity that presents itself to this church that you can rise up and be the heroes that this community is so desperately in need of. For all the hometown heroes here, they will tell you the same thing. We're just ordinary people responding to a need. They are not superhuman. They are regular people they, that are responding to the needs of their community. Again, uh, the original uh, apost or the, excuse me, the original Pentecostals, thank you for honoring the public safety community. It is deeply appreciated. However, while they respond to the physical needs of your community, you have an opportunity to rise up and respond to the spiritual needs of the community. Let me tell you, their spiritual needs far outweigh their physical need. They are in need of a church that will rise up, that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and preach this word of hope and life. Again, I don't want to sound like I did not appreciate my community's effort to acknowledge my rescue. But the truth is, I, reached, I reacted to a need. My friend was in trouble. Church, our friends and our families and our communities are in trouble. They are blinded by the God of this world. There is a darkness that is overshadowing our communities. They are hurting, and by the time they are hurting, and I want you to understand something. By the time I got to my friend, he, as I said earlier, he was disoriented, standing up in the fire, something that a fireman knows not to do. But the pain from being burned in the complexity of the situation nearly cost him his life. Our community does not know that they are in darkness. They do not realize that the the God of this world has blinded them. They are just overwhelmed by the pain, the sadness, the anxiety, the addictions, and the depression. I remember pulling him down to the floor, as I said, and he recognized my voice. I had worked with him before. We were, we were good friends. He later told me, that when I pulled him to the ground, the very thing that calmed him, the very thing that helped him was there was a familiar voice. He knew as soon as I mentioned, as soon as I said something to him, he called my name. He said, Curtis, get me out of here. What again, what the Leesburg community needs is a clear voice. What the community needs is a voice of a church that is clear in saying that we've got a message of hope, that we've got a message of light in the darkness. We need a church that has a clear, loud, strong, faithful, confident message. I don't have time this morning because it time will not permit, but it's time that the church becomes convinced that what we have 
is a message that our world is looking for. We need to be convinced right here today that what Leesburg needs is this church to rise up and declare that we've got a Jesus that loves them. Forgive me for getting excited, but I want you to know there's something that begins to swell up within me when I recognize and realize what is before the church and the opportunity that we have to rescue a lost and dying world. What Leesburg needs, and I'm going to continue to say this, is modern-day heroes to recognize their need to act in faith and to proclaim the gospel. They need a voice of hope, and each one of you are that voice. Each one of you has the voice, a voice of faith, that our message is one of life. Though to those that are trapped under the weight of sin, a message of hope for the hopeless, a message of light in the darkness, a message of peace in the midst of their confusion. I wish somebody would preach with me, and I wish somebody would believe me. I still believe that this message is a message of hope in the dark. I still believe this is a message of light in the darkness. I believe that this is a matter of this book has a message of peace in their confusion. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I, I, I'm trying to do the work of an evangelist this morning, but it's not time for the church to get into politics. It's not time for the church to choose sides. It's time for the church to love everybody. It's time for the church to give this gospel message to everybody. It's time for the church to rise above what the adversary is trying to do and that is to pit one against another and rise up above that. Understand we've been, we've been picked up from the miry clay and understand that this message is what they yearn for. But they do not know how can they they're blinded by the adversary, but we know their situation. That young man in the basement, he kind of knew that he was in bad shape. He kind of knew that he needed some assistance. I want you to know you can drive down the streets of your community and their houses on the outside might look nice and your community is beautiful and it is, but I want you to know behind closed doors, they've been lied to, they've been cheated, and they've been deceived, and they are living in darkness. And how can we ride up? Up and down the community roads and not have a pain in our hearts because of what they're going through and understand that we have a message that they are longing to hear and that they need. I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this message will set men and women free. I just wish and I'm not saying that this church does not, but the Lord has just placed it upon my heart. The church has got to begin to understand the condition that the world is in. I'm not a political preacher, but I will tell you that I believe with all my heart this Democrat against Republican and all of this kind of stuff is straight from the pits of hell. Why? Because he's trying to create a darkness that will make people believe that there's no love from heaven above that can straighten this thing out. But I know that my Jesus went and sat on a well and talked to a Samaritan woman and began to tell her who he was and it changed her life and it changed her town. I can tell you this. It's not time to do anything but talk about King Jesus. It should be on your Twitter. It should be on your Facebook. Pastor, am I doing all right? It should be everywhere you go. It's time 
to declare that God loves them, that Jesus cares for them, and that he is the way. How shall they hear that word preacher does not refer to pastor minister but it means to proclaim I don't know where this came from I don't know when it started and bless God it may not be here but churches depend on ministry and pastors to, to, to preach the gospel to their city and to win the lost I want you to understand that that's not what Paul was talking about he was telling us that we all have a responsibility to proclaim claim the gospel to every man. I promise you that the love of Jesus in your voice and the faith believing proclamation of the word of God will get their attention. Let me say it one more time. I promise you I've seen it when someone is hurting someone is involved in a traumatic situation it wasn't only then, but I had another incident where we had several trapped firefighters in a basement. And this time I was not inside, but I was outside and I was talking on the radio. And afterwards, some days later, one of those that were trapped, thought he was trapped, came to me. And he said, at that time, I think I was a, an assistant chief, and he said, when I heard your voice on the radio, when I heard the calmness in your voice, I don't know what the outside looked like, but I, I knew that everything was going to be all right. Church, I'm not bragging on me. Please don't take it that way. But what this world needs is a clear, calm, directional voice that points them to Jesus Christ. We've got to begin to understand that there is a hero within all of us. And you cannot wait for somebody else that sits on this side of the platform to declare Jesus to your community. We've all got to rise up and be heroes to our community. Your community needs to hear about Jesus. Ah, uh, can anybody testify that Jesus is your redeemer? Can anybody testify that when you were in the miry clay, oh, that he reached down and picked you up? Uh, can anybody testify that Jesus is your healer? This week I got a call. A gentleman, actually, that is, used to be a volunteer in Prince George's County Fire Department, he called me. He said, Pastor, he said, I'm in trouble. I'm in the hospital, and my, my pacemaker's broke, and my heart's not beating enough to sustain me. I, I'm going to be clear and, and transparent right here. Pastor Windsor, I said, I'm on my way. And I got ready to hang up the phone. And um, I realized I didn't pray for him. <laughs> I, I was just so fixed, uh, excuse me, I was just so fixed on getting to the hospital that I didn't pray for him. Just as I got ready to put the phone down, he said, I, I said, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me pray for you. And, and so uh, on a, walking on a dirt road with a cell phone in my hand, I started praying a prayer of faith. And so I was in Virginia, he was in Maryland, and I needed to get back there. But by the time I got back there, he was already discharged from the hospital. I want to tell you, two hours later, the doctor walked in. He said, I don't know what's happened. I can't explain what's happened. My friend looked up from the hospital bed, and he said, I know what's happened. The power of prayer, Jesus, has happened. He went from getting ready to pass out of this life to two hours uh, packed up uh, and ready to go home. That's the kind of Jesus that Leesburg needs to hear about. Uh, that's the kind of Jesus uh, that Leesburg needs to hear about. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I have a card in my pocket. It's because I have a Holy Spirit in my life. And you have that same spirit. 
How many of you can testify that he's your peace in troubling times? I said, how many of you can testify that he's your peace in troubling times? Ah, this is what our world needs to know. They need to know that I can, that they can call on the name of Jesus when things are going wrong. And I don't know about you, but there's something sweet when Jesus steps into my life and says, peace, be still. He's a friend that remaineth closer than a brother. And this kind of in the world that we live in today, I even heard it on the way here this morning. People are looking for connection. They're attending church because they feel like they need a buddy. They need a friend. They need somebody that they can sit down with and exchange bread. I'm not saying that that's wrong. But what I am saying, if more churches would begin to talk point them towards Jesus and teach them how to walk in the spirit I'm here to tell you that things would change we cannot try to push and I'm not saying that you do but you cannot rely on a program to bring somebody to Jesus you're going to have to roll your sleeves up you're going to have to get down and dirty and you're going to have to disciple them Oh, and so back to my story of my friend, the second thing, the first thing I did was I recognized the need. I think this morning that I have adequately explained that there is a need in Leesburg for somebody to rise up and, and begin to declare Jesus and the gospel message to them. The second thing I did was I trusted on my training. Reflecting back on the incident, I probably was in more perilous situation, in a more perilous situation than I realized. However, I simply trusted my training. Paul declared in 2 Corinthians 11.25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. You say, well, what's that have to do? There is a cost associated with being a voice of hope. It requires sacrifice. But there is no better feeling in the world than having a role in bringing someone to Christ I want you to understand for just a few minutes that night I I wasn't thinking about my wife I wasn't thinking about my daughter until afterwards until I began to recognize the scope of the situation and I want you to understand while it is nice to come to church and clap your hands and sing and dance we've been called to make disciples and we're going to have to get out of our comfort zone we're going to have to roll up our sleeves and we're going to have to get down with those in Leesburg and begin to go to them and begin to preach the gospel it's not about having time with this one or fellowshipping with this one it is simply about declaring Jesus to everyone and everywhere you go we guard our time so preciously we, we, we relegate Jesus to Sundays and Wednesdays. Might not be here, but the Holy Ghost gave it to me to preach here. I may preach it at Crossroads next week. But, but, we, but we, we, we box Jesus in. If we are going to be what Leesburg needs... We're going to have to go and do some things and sacrifice some things. That's one of the greatest things I, I, I think that gravitates people to heroes because of their sacrifice. Every day. Now, not every day did we, did we rescue people. Not every day did we even go to fires. But for 21 years and 20 couple years and 20 couple years, every day we went to work, there was a potential. Every day we went to work, we sacrificed. We left home. 24 hours later, we came. 
came back. There was some times in my career that I didn't think I was going to make it home. But the reality of it is, is I still loved every day that I went to work. I miss it sometimes more than I'd like to admit. But here's the thing. I've got a new commission. I've got a new mission before me. And I've got to have the zeal that Paul had and say it doesn't matter how bad things get. It doesn't matter how they treat me. I've got a message that they need to hear. I feel in the spirit, and it, it, it could possibly be taken negatively, but the reality of it is, I feel the Holy Ghost is challenging the modern day church to rethink how we do business and recognize that we've been placed in the greatest time of church history, and this is going to be the time of the greatest end time harvest, but the church has got to shake herself. The church has got to stop thinking about church being these four walls and begin to declare the gospel in the streets of our community. When I look back, well, let me say this there. I said there's a cost associated with being the voice of hope. It requires sacrifice, but there is no better feeling. Church there is no better feeling than the role of bringing someone to Christ. These two precious people sitting up front, I'm not exactly sure which. I think it started with you first. And you know, I think, if, if you don't mind me telling a little bit of the story, I was the captain at that same station, and sh her mom passed away. And I, I'm not, again, forgive me. I can only tell stories about me, and that's, you probably want it that way. You don't want me telling stories about you up here. I don't know any anyway. But her mom passed away. And if I am not telling the story right, there was something. And here I am, a captain. I'm in charge of the station. But there was something. And what that something was, was the Holy Ghost. I just began to comfort her. I just began to talk to her, minister to her, if you will. And suddenly, there was something beginning to happen in her soul. And, there was, and from that point on, it just continued to grow. If I remember right, I'm preaching one morning. I'm not not even the pastor. I look up midway through the service. Here she comes. She comes down the church. She sits in the middle aisle. And, 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 and I'm thinking, wow, that's pretty impressive. That was right when we were preaching. Here's Sassy. I'm all happy. But what I didn't know until later is that she was sitting in her former church and the Lord spoke to her, told her to get up and go to that church where I preached. I want you to know it will just show love. It will just love them. It will just... It will just be the example. It will, it will uh, comfort them when they hurt. It will tell them about Jesus. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, you're going to see the doors open up and people come through. Why? Because they respond to a voice that sounds like him. Then the Lord started working on him. I didn't comfort him. He, he was my buddy. Well, actually, at that point, we weren't buddies. I was his boss. But if I, if, if I remember the story correctly, he, he noticed something different. There was a, a captain at the training academy that there was something different about him. And so... From that, he made a, an effort, a conscience effort, and I commend him for this. He said, that's the kind of guy I want to be. Well, what he didn't know was I'm only what I am by the grace of God. He didn't see me. He saw the Holy Ghost. And so we got to talking. We, it, it, we really got to talking seriously. And then I started hunting with him. And, and, and we, we started having some, just some mutual interest. And, and, and so, uh, but then suddenly one day he said, uh, I, I need to talk to you, Curtis. And, and so I said, okay. And I, I remember the day I'd worked with them. They'd been probably, what, two years? Home Bible studies in our home. He was just a baby. 
That tells you how long ago it was. So here he is, going to talk to a guy that's invested two years in him, come to my home for two years, and we're sitting on the back. I, I don't, I'm just telling you some stories. And we're sitting on the back of the pickup truck, and our legs, my legs at least, because I'm short, are swinging off the back of the tailgate. And I'm thinking, man, he's, he's ready to come. He's going to get the Holy Ghost. It's going to be the day, man. This is great. And he looks over at me, and he says, I don't want to do this anymore. Do what? I don't want to be part of your church anymore. I, I don't want to do this. I'm not ready for this. I don't want to do this. Man, I was crushed. I was hurt. I was devastated. But I looked over and I smiled and he said this, will you still be my friend? You see, that's how the world looks at the church. That's how the world thinks the church operates. With everything in me, I smiled with the biggest smile that I had. While my heart was dying inside, said absolutely, and I meant every word of it. Well, I don't even know if you missed a service. But I talked to him a little while later. We got to talking, and he said, you know, you floored me when you said you'd still be my friend. You floored me when I rejected your God, and you still said, no big deal. You see, church, what I'm trying to tell you is that there is a desperate world that is hurting. And they have an expectation of what church is. But what they don't know is who Jesus is. And we've been commissioned to show them Jesus. And sometimes it's going to cost you two years in my living room teaching a Bible study. Sometimes I just taught the same lesson over again. My wife babysitting. But every night, for, or every excuse me, week for two years, and at two years, he said to me, I'm done with this. I don't want this anymore. But you know what? Some that don't have Jesus would have responded differently. What I'm trying to tell you is what we're getting ready, God is asking us to do, is roll up our sleeves and become heroes to a world that does not know that they need him, but we know that they need him, and we need to sacrifice and we need to commit ourselves to doing what God has called us to do. When I looked back to find the stairs that day, as I said, I could not see them. The basement was dark and the temperature was rising. I had lost all my sense of direction. I couldn't tell whether I was, as I said, in the front of the house or the back of the house. And, and I knew I would not be able to find the steps. And so I just relied on what I knew to do. That was my training. Our training as a Christian is quite different. Acts 1.8 says, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You can be a hero that Leesburg needs because the hero is in you. Let me say it again. You can be the hero that Leesburg needs because the hero is in you. If you would just go and permit the Spirit to flow through you, the same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles empowers you and me. I want to challenge you. Study the Word. Teach a Bible study. Do whatever your pastor asks you to do because Leesburg is in need of heroes. It is interesting to me that those studying the psychology of heroes believe that it is possible for people to learn to be heroes. Heroes are not uh, mythological, not larger than life. They are just simply ordinary people that realize others are in need and do whatever necessary to help. We use adjectives like extreme personal risk and courage and selflessness, humility and compassion. Descriptive words that often make us feel inferior and not capable of making a difference. Uh, how many of you here this morning have the Holy Spirit? Come on, can I get a little bit of excitement? I'm almost done. 
Let me provide you with a few characteristics that you possess. The Bible says you possess love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Sometimes we think that heroes are some mythological person that we can never become or never reach that plane. But I want you to know that you are a hero because the hero lives within you. I'm here to tell you that the only thing you need to do is let the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, have its way in you. And you too will be a hero to your community. Look at your neighbor and tell them, you are a hero. Come on, you got to tell them like you believe that they're a hero. Tell them, you have a message that will rescue our community. Stand up, stand up. I'm done. But you got to believe it. You got to believe it. Pastor Windsor, I believe we have the message that this world is looking for. I believe every time you and I step to the platform and we begin to declare the gospel, I believe it changes the life of the people who hear it. I am convinced. Now look at your neighbor like you're trying to convince them and tell them they have a message of hope for your community. The world, Leesburg, Charles County, your neighbors, your families, your business partners, they need heroes, and that hero is you, because the hero lives in you. Don't back down when you see the need. React by letting the Spirit flow through you. Stay in the book. Walk in the Spirit. And you will impact your community. God bless you. Praise the Lord. We heard the word of God. Why don't we respond to the word of God? Why don't we just raise our hands up?